I don't know about you, but I'm aware as I'm getting older, I suppose, that how much life is changing uh, and how quickly things are changing. And uh, one of the things that I think is really changing a lot is how we order coffee. Has anyone, anyone thought about this and pondered this? You see, years ago, okay, um, you ordered coffee really simply. It was black or white, sugar or no sugar. Am I right? Some of you that remember. But now you go into Starbucks or Costa or anything like that and you order coffee and it's like a huge ordeal, isn't it? It's not just black or white, sugar or no sugar. Now when you order coffee, is it tall or is it short? Is it skinny or is it fat? Is it decaf or is it fully leaded? Is there an extra shot? Is it sugar-free syrup? Is it soy milk or normal milk? Has it got sprinkles or no sprinkles? It's like a really big deal ordering coffee. Because actually what's happened in our culture is that almost like the way we order coffee, I think, kind of symbolises the way we think about life. It has to be personalised and it has to be just how I like it. And wouldn't it be amazing if we could order life in the same way that we order coffee? Wouldn't that be amazing? So perhaps we'd ask for a tall, extra hot cup of adventure, cut the dangers and two shots of good health. That's how we might order it. Or we might say, I want a pleasure mocker, extra sprinklings of indulgence and consequence free. That, that's how, but you see, if only life worked like Starbucks. But I've got some big news for you this morning. It doesn't. Nor Costa, nor Cafe Nero, nor any of them. Life doesn't come like we order coffee. And so the verse that I want to show you this morning, because that's our cultural backdrop, is going to be a little bit difficult for some of you to hear. In fact, when you hear this, you'll say, do you know what, I don't quite want to receive that. That's not quite how I like it. That's not quite how I want to see I don't quite see how that's going to fit in my life right now. But I hopefully am going to show you in the next 25, 30 minutes just how important this verse is. And if you can add this verse into your life on a regular, ongoing, consistent basis, it's like adding water into your life. Here's the verse. It's Philippians 4, verse 6. I'm going to read it from the New Living Translation. Do not worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Do not worry about anything. Instead, pray about about everything. You know, this is one of those verses that can be hard to hear at certain times. So when Alice and my wife phoned me from the airport in Lusaka in Zambia on Friday, I literally, this is the truth, I was looking at my talk. And as she said to me, don't speak, just listen. We've missed the flight. We've got kids crying. We don't know what we're going to do. We don't know we're going to be able to get back. I've got to do this. I've got to do that. I've got to do that. I was tempted to say, darling, don't worry about anything. <laughs> Instead, pray about everything. Now, how well do you think that would have gone if I'd have done that? Yeah, on a scale of 1 to 10, I'd be in trouble, wouldn't I? Because you see, sometimes in our life, when we're gripped in the middle of anxiety and worry, a verse like this really doesn't set well. Because we can't, A, we can't understand it, and B, we don't really believe it. Because does it really mean anything? Should we not worry about anything? And does it really mean everything? We should pray about everything. I mean, is that really what it means? So so does it mean that if we're not to worry about anything, that we don't worry about our health and we don't worry about our finances and we don't worry about our friends and our family and our jobs and about our homes? We don't worry about anything. And does it, if it means pray about everything, does it really mean that when we wake up in the morning, we pray, Lord, what should I wear today? And as we head down the stairs, Lord, what should I eat for breakfast? Should it be this or should it be that? And Lord, what route should I take to work? And should I even go to work, Lord? I need a word. And, and you know, when I get to work, where do I sit? What do I do? And lunchtime, what do I eat for lunch? Does it really mean everything? Does it really mean anything? I'm going to hopefully tell you what I think it means in a moment. 
But before I do that, there are a couple of caveats that I want to make to what I want to say this morning. And it's really interesting preparing this message this week in the week that we've had as a world. The two caveats are this. Anxiety or worry, I'm going to use those words interchangeably, anxiety is relative. What we worry about is very different than what other people in the world worry about. So our guys who just come back or are heading back from Zambia, some of the people in the villages they worked in do not worry about what you and I worry about. They worry about a whole load of other issues and are concerned about a whole load of issues, not whether their iPhone's working or whether their friends like them on Facebook. They don't really care. And there are some people this morning, ladies and gentlemen, who didn't worry about, you know, if I go to church today, will it be too hot and will the music be too loud? They didn't worry about that. What they got up worrying about this morning is this, if I do not renounce my faith, will I lose my life today? That's a very different worry than what you and I worry about, isn't it? See, anxiety is relative. And can I just say that with all that's happening in the world right now in Iraq and Syria and in Israel and in Gaza and other parts of the world and we see it on the news, we see it on social media, we don't quite know what to believe. Listen, if, if even a small percentage of what we're reading and watching is true, we live in a really broken, messed up world right now. And when you read these kind of stories and you read about persecution, you read about people losing their lives because they won't renounce their faith, you realise just how real it is, a faith in Jesus. But also we can do something the Bible says we can pray, we can give, we can write to our MP, we can sign petitions, we can do all those things. But we have to understand that anxiety is relative. But the second thing I want to say is this, anxiety and depression are not necessarily the same thing. You know, as I was preparing this this week and the news about Robin Williams uh, came out and I really liked Robin Williams as an actor, and as a comedian, loved the work that he did. And, and you know, the, interestingly, the reaction to his death, uh, his suicide related th- through depression, has been interesting. There's been a lot of compassion and empathy in the world and there's been a lot of the other reaction to it as well. And I want to say that anxiety and depression are not the same thing. And this verse, I believe, is not necessarily a verse that you're going to apply if, in, in a state of depression and everything's going to change. It isn't like that. In fact, I don't believe that this verse is primarily a verse related to depression. I think depression is very different. And I want to say a few things about that. You know, depression, and, and it may be that you, that you know people who have suffered or are suffering depression. It may be that there are people here in this room and you're suffering or have suffered depression. And you may not, not, never have heard people talk about it in church before. Well, I want to do that this morning a little bit. So I want to say depression is not a character defect. It is not a spiritual disorder and it is not an emotional dysfunction. It is not a choice that people make. And when we almost give that response that it's just a choice you make, it's a little bit like saying to someone who's been shot, stop bleeding. It isn't, just isn't that easy. If you could, you would, but you don't because you can't. So it is not a choice that people make. And it's not a sin. You know, many people, especially Christians, we struggle with this whole area of depression. But you know, when I read the Bible and I read these, these great heroes of the faith that the Bible says are heroes of faith, they went through what we now understand as depression. I mean, what did David go through when he wrote the Psalms? Some of the things he wrote in the Psalms, you know, how wretched am I? I'm like a worm, you know, the enemies devour me, Every, I can't sleep at night, all these kind of things. We'd look at that and we'd say, oh, those are classic symptoms of depression. Or when Elijah, great character in the, in the Old Testament, on the one chapter he's on the mountain and fire from God is coming down. The next chapter, he goes into the desert, tells his attendant to, be, to, to leave him because he wants to go on his own. And he walks into the desert, sits under a tree and he says this, Lord, I want to die. I've had enough. 
And we didn't know it then, but we know it now. We would say that's classic symptoms of depression. That kind of darkness that can envelop a person where they just don't feel that they can go on any longer. Jeremiah, there's loads like that. And it is not a sin if you're going through that kind of situation. You know, there are no easy answers or quick fixes. I don't believe that at all. I do believe that Jesus came on the earth to bring healing and we are the body of Christ and we need to be a healing body. And sometimes we see God move instantly and people get healed from physical illnesses or from other conditions. But sometimes a healing body means that that doesn't happen right away. But what we do is we gather around people and we walk through that journey with them. And we might not understand it if we've never been in it, but we can still be that arm around the shoulder and that help and that strength and that support. And if you are going through these kind of feelings or experiences, please talk to someone. Talk to someone. We want to be a church, a community that is open, non-judgmental. They say, do you know what? We don't understand what it is to go through that because we haven't been there. But you know what? Our arms are open and we believe that together and with God's help, we can help each other through these difficult situations. But you know, today I'm not primarily speaking into depression, although there may be some help for you here if you are suffering from that. What I believe that this verse is primarily speaking into is the normal anxieties and worries that all of us go through in our life. And um, at the end of this, you're not going to walk out with a kind of a Hakuna Matata thing going on, all right, or a don't worry about a thing. Remember it? Every little thing's. Started a little bit high there, didn't I? Okay, so, so th- that, that's the song going through my head, okay? But that's not what's going to happen, all right? Because this is, this is far more real than all of that. You see, the interesting, the, the, the original, or not say the original, the authorised version, the old version of the Bible, King James, it says, be careful for nothing. And it, doesn't mind, it doesn't mean careful, I say, oh, watch the road, or that's a little hot. It's not that. It's being full of cares. And it's like being full of care is like being full of anxiety, being full of worry. And it literally means it divides the mind. It splits our energy, our energy between today's priorities and tomorrow's problems. We can't fully enter the present because our mind is so full of all of our concerns and our worries and our anxieties about what might or might not happen in the future. But the best, the best description or the closest to the biblical meaning of this verse is an old English word which literally means to strangle the life out of. So what Paul here who writes in Philippians is saying is don't let anxiety strangle the life out of you and then it tells you to do something with it you see it doesn't mean it doesn't mean that and this this is a little bit of a personal bugbear of mine okay I, I, I can be quite an intense stressed up person all right I'm not particularly no stop it Martin behave yourself uh, I, I'm not you particularly your type B just let it happen I'm not that kind of personality and versus if you're that kind of personality like you love Bob Marley do you know what I mean and you're always wearing flip-flops and all that kind of thing if you're that kind of personality you love verses like this because you say to other people like me see you shouldn't be worried about that. You shouldn't think about that. You shouldn't stress. That's not what the Bible teaches, okay? Because the Bible says it's a good thing to work. It's a good thing to plan. It's a good thing to be organized. It's a good thing to have strategy. So it's not about personality type. What the Bible says is it's a difficult thing and a dangerous thing when you allow anxiety or worry to strangle the life out of you. Because when you allow the hands of anxiety to get around your neck, that isn't the life that God intended for you to live. And you see, when we do allow worry to get its grip around our throat, the effects can be devastating. There can be physical effects. So worrying is not a disease, but it can cause physical issues in our life. There can be emotional consequences. It can affect our decision-making, our actions, our peace of mind. 
There can be relational issues. We can be difficult to relate to when we're so anxious and, and we've got that stranglehold around our throat. We can get paranoid. We can get fearful. We can get distrustful of others. And there are spiritual issues. Very hard to relate to God sometimes when we are so full of anxiety. And it's like someone's got their hands around our throat. And you know, everybody worries about something, I believe. You know, I think sometimes personality types hide it a little bit. But I think most people have anxiety and worry. Some people it's obvious. Some it's a little less than obvious. Some don't admit it. Some deny it. Some don't even recognize it. But I think it's there. And I think we sometimes think, you know, if only I had this in my life, then I wouldn't have anxiety. So you might think, if only I had power. But Joseph Stalin was one of the most powerful men on the planet, the dictator of the USSR, of, of Russia, for a good chunk of time. He was so fearful and had so much anxiety. He had seven different bedrooms and five chauffeur-driven limos just because he was fearful about assassination. You might think, well, that's okay, but if I had money, then I wouldn't be anxious Howard Hughes was one of the richest men that's ever lived on the planet. He died a lonely billionaire hermit in Mexico. You might think, oh yeah, but if I was famous, then, then I wouldn't have anxiety. John Lennon was incredibly famous, but couldn't sleep with the light on. Was fearful of touching things in case he picked up dirt. So, so I actually think that everybody is anxious and worried about something. We just show it in different ways. So how can we deal with worry? How can we add water? What are some strategies well, a business guy called Arthur Rank, he devised a system. He chose Wednesdays to worry. And that's genius, isn't it? So basically, anything that he was wanted to worry about, he wrote it on a bit of paper, put it in a box, and the box said, don't open until a Wednesday. So you can try that if you want, see how you get on with that. But I like, I like the story of a guy who hired somebody else to worry for him. He said, I'm going to hire you, and you're going to do my worrying for me, and I'm going to pay you, and the salary will be £200,000 a year. The man accepted the job and then the first question to his boss was this, where on earth are you going to get £200,000 a year for my salary? And the man said, that's your worry. <laughs> genius, genius. So what does God have to say about worry? How can we add water to our life? When we get that stranglehold of anxiety which grips us and chokes the life out of us, what can we do? Let's look at the rest of the verse. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he's done. Then you'll experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. These are an amazing couple of verses, aren't they? And what I want to say is that the first thing that Paul says here is, this is an invitation from God. This is an invitation of what to do when you are anxious and you are worried. Now, can I say, I'm perfectly open to psychology. I read lots of psychology books. Psychology's fine. It's great. God created it and allows it. But there's a psychological approach to worry, and that's not the same as the biblical approach to worry, and I want to show you how. You see, what the Bible doesn't say is very important. It doesn't say, don't worry, it might never happen. See, psychology says that. And whereas it is actually true that a high percentage of what we worry about never actually happens. But the Bible doesn't say, don't worry, it might never happen. Because guess what? It might. Some of you in this room, you know that you've gone through times in your life when you've been worried and you've been anxious. And someone said, don't worry about it, it might never happen. And it did. And it did. And the Bible doesn't say that. That's psychology. That's not the Bible. It, the Bible doesn't say, don't worry, it's wrong or weak to worry. See, some of us who are Christians, and all of you may not class yourself as that, some of us as Christians, we really struggle with this. 
Because we think, if I admit to anxiety or worry, someone's going to tell me I'm a weak Christian or where's my faith? And the Bible never says that. The Bible doesn't say, don't worry, get a grip. In other words, change your thinking. If you could just change your thinking, then everything would be all right. Now, thinking is really important, but that's psychology, and that's not what the Bible says. You see, if you, if you say, well, just change your thinking, that's a little bit like saying to an alcoholic, just don't think about a drink. I think it's kind of bad psychology, but it certainly isn't what the Bible says. And, and the Bible doesn't say, don't worry, it's a waste of energy. So that may be true, but it's useless, isn't it? If I'd have said to Alison when she was on the phone there, you know, and said, darling, don't worry, it's a waste of energy. It would have been totally useless. And the Bible doesn't say, don't worry and, and, and do all those things. You see, the invitation to stop worrying is then followed by, instead of worrying, do something else. And this is what the Bible says. Instead, with your worry, pray, tell God what you need, and be thankful as you do it. That's really interesting, because the, the way that Paul writes this in the original language, he, he makes a distinction between those three things. And when he says pray, what he's really talking about is not the, dear God, please give me this. He's not talking about that. He's talking really about worship. He's talking about engaging with God and being in God's presence and adoring God for who God is. For some of you who are not Christians, you'll think, I don't get that. That sounds really weird. But for those of you that do, you understand exactly what I mean, don't you? When we just come to God without the anxieties and all the worries, not talking to God about that, we're just engaging with God for who He is. We're doing what I said two years ago, drawing near to God. And God draws near to us. So, so we engage with God like that in worship. And then the Bible uses this word supplication, is the old word. Tell God what you need. Be specific about what you're worried about. Worry, anxiety is relative. What is causing you that grip around the throat is important to God. You might think, yeah, but somebody else isn't bothered about this. doesn't matter. He knows the hair on your head. What is important to you is important to him. Tell him what is on your mind. Tell him what is around your throat. And then finally, be thankful when you do it. That is so, so important. Because you see, if you have some kind of grudge against God, it's very difficult to come to God and receive what God promises next, which is the peace of God. So as we come to God, we come to him with thankfulness, not for what's happening in our life, but we are thankful in the circumstances, not necessarily for the circumstances. So this morning, if you've got anxiety and you've got worry, I want to encourage you. God invites you this morning to worship him, to be specific and tell him what you need and to do it with thanksgiving. That's the invitation. But this is the exciting bit. Then there is a promise. And the Bible says this, then you will experience God's peace. Amen. You will experience God's peace. And it will guard your hearts and your minds as you live in Christ Jesus. The promise is not that you will feel better or the circumstances will necessarily change, although they might. The promise is not as you pray, instead of thinking about anxiety, you'll be praying. Because that's good psychology and bad Christianity. That, the promise isn't any of those things, but the promise is that as you engage with God and as you draw close to God and as you're thankful for what God's done in your life and who God is, then God will supernaturally give you his gift, which is the gift of peace. And the Bible says amazing things about this gift of peace. You see, it says that this will guard your heart and your mind. And that word guard literally means a sentry on duty. Anyone ever been to London? And you ever seen the, the guards that are outside Buckingham Palace, yeah, with the the big hats and all that. And have you ever, when you were young, because you wouldn't do it now, did you ever go and try and make them laugh? Is that just me? I, I did it a couple of months ago. I was just, 
Nearly, no, I didn't, I didn't. But, but you do that, and these sentries are on duty, and they're guarding, and you can't make their faces flicker. And you can do all kinds of stuff, and they're there, and they are not moving. That's the image, that's the image Paul's trying to convey. It's like what the peace of God will do, is it will be like a sentry that will guard your heart, and it will guard your mind, and nothing's moving it. I think that's amazing, don't you? That the peace of God, and even though the circumstances might be the same, and even though the issues might be the same, and you might not feel better, but to know the peace of God that guards your heart and your mind is an unbelievable thing. And you know, many of you know us, and you know our story, and I suppose in our, in our last 18 years of our life, the thing that shaped our life more than anything, apart from God, is our youngest son, Simeon. Uh, who's got complex special needs and disability. And over that 18-year period since he was diagnosed, he's 20 now, and over the, eight, the last 18 years, there's been times where we have known anxiety that has literally choked the life out of us. And there have been other times where we have known the peace of God, which has been a supernatural gift. And the Bible says it's beyond our, expect, it's beyond our understanding. And I think there's times when we thought, we shouldn't feel this peaceful. <laughs> do you know what I mean? But we do. Because it's a supernatural gift. There's other times when we've not accessed that and where we've had that anxiety. So don't let me mislead you there at all. But these two things can happen in our life. So you might be saying, well, that's great for you, Leon, to experience that. But right now, you don't know the anxiety I'm going through. You don't know the worry that's choking the life out of me. How do I experience the peace of God? Well, you need to do something. You know, someone said, action is worry's worst enemy. You need to do something for sure. And I thought about how do I uh, explain this and show you this. And for me, the visual works best. And so I've gone to the land of the free um, for a little bit of a baseball analogy. <laughs> yeah, there was an American at the first service who woke up when I brought the mitt out. There you go. So do you know what? In the week, in the week I was, re- was practising with Simon this because the idea was that he was going to throw the ball and I was going to catch it. The problem is I dropped 10 out of 10, which... <laughs> might be funny, but will totally ruin the theology of what I want to explain to you. So I want you to imagine that this ball represents the anxiety and the worry that you and I feel. We all feel it because we're human, okay? And we hold on to it, and eventually, not only do we hold on to it, but it begins to hold on to us. And it begins to choke the life out of us. And it begins to get that grip around our throat, and we think, oh Lord, and we, and we can only think about what might happen or what might not happen, and we can't enter into the present because we're so anxious and worried about the future. And it's like, as Robin Williams called it, this, this kind of like dog almost begins to creep up. I know that's depression, but we can feel like that with anxiety and worry as well. And it's gripping itself around our throat. And what you and I do is we try and drop it. The problem is when we drop it, it has a habit of coming straight back up, doesn't it? Nearly missed that then. And that's what we do. And what we need to do is instead of dropping it and like that, we need to fully let it go. We need to let it go into a hand of someone that's going to be able to hold it. And I want you to see that this represents God. And so what we do with our anxiety and worries is that we find a way of releasing it and letting it go. And it doesn't come back then in the same kind of way. Sometimes it does, but we find a way of releasing it and letting it go. And that's what I believe that Paul is teaching here. He's saying, you know, when you come to him, when you come to God and you enter into worship and you, uh, and you tell him what you need and you're thankful in it, then somehow it, you, you're beginning to let it go. And as you let it go, you're beginning to experience the peace of God, which guards your heart and your mind. But here's the second thought that I want you to think about with this. If that's true, and I think it is, then here's the second challenge. What about we narrow the time gap between when we sense that it is strangling us to when we let it go? You see, some people, and I've met them, they've had anxiety and, and worry about some issues that they've carried for years. 
and have never really let it go to God. Never experienced his peace. Wouldn't it be amazing if the next time we were gripped by anxiety or worry, we didn't leave it years, we brought it down to months, or even to weeks, or even to days, or hours, or minutes, or seconds. Can you imagine what that kind of life would be like? Where we are releasing it into the hand of God, knowing that he's more than able to hold it, and we receive the peace of God in return. But you know there's a further promise from another part of the Bible which is exciting. In Hebrews chapter 4 verse 16, it says this, So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. So this is one of the things about anxiety and worry. We think and we worry and we're anxious about what will happen if this happens. And God promises a further thing, that not only will he give us the peace, but when we come to that moment when we need to receive something from God, that's when it will be there. And I thought about how to illustrate this, and again, this is quite timely, and I thought when I lead mission trips, I'm going to be leading one to South Africa in two weeks' time, what I often do is that I have all the tickets, and I hold on to the tickets, and I stand in between the, the, the check-in thing and the team. Uh, and then when, when they come, I give them the tickets. Why do I do that? Because I'm a control freak. <laughs> or there's another reason. Because actually, they don't need those tickets until that moment. Then I thought, isn't that just like God? It's like he stands between the need and between us. And at the time when we need it, that's when he gives us the ticket. And so you might say this morning, yeah, but you see, if this happens, I don't know how I'll cope. I don't know how I'll manage. And that's what anxiety and worry does, doesn't it? So that picture of letting the ball go would be really helpful to some of you. It may be for some of you that other picture of God standing in between you and that need. And at the moment when you need it the most, that's when he gives you the ticket. That's when he gives you the grace or the strength or the wisdom or the idea or whatever it is. And I think to myself over our life, you know, and I think, ah, oh, that moment when uh, 18 years ago when we went into that doctor's appointment room and the doctor very coldly told us that Simeon had got special needs, disability and probably would be with us for the rest of his life, would never be able to be independent or live a life on his own. We as young parents went out into the car, sat in the car and bawled our eyes out. And at that moment, 18 years ago, I thought, how on earth are we going to cope? How are we going to cope when he gets old enough to go to school? How are we going to cope when he starts getting hair in all kinds of interesting places? And how are we going to cope when he gets old? How are we going to cope when we get old? How are we going to cope? How are we going to cope? Anxiety grips you around the throat. But do you know what we've experienced? That sometimes God, <laughs> God's amazing. He gives you that peace to guard your heart and the mind. But you know what he also does? Is when you need it the most... He gives you the ticket. And there's been moments in our life in the last 18 years when we have allowed anxiety to grip us. There's been other moments when we've released that ball. There's been other moments when just at the right moment, God's given us the ticket that we needed. In fact, a couple of years ago, we knew that um, Simeon needed to move from where he was to other accommodation. He went into residential care five years ago. And uh, we needed to find somewhere. We found somewhere. It was very expensive. Authority weren't going to pay the money, funding, etc., etc. And I was on a prayer walk with some other church leaders, and we walked out from Merry Hill, and we were walking towards the edge of the boundary um, uh, in the borough. And, and we walked out of uh, Merry Hill, Dan Amblecote, through Oswinford, and we walked through Pedmore, and we stopped at the edge of the boundary. And as we stopped here, uh, we finished at the boundary and we prayed. And I looked at the, uh, over the road, and there was the house that we wanted Simeon to go to. So I said to the guys as we finished, "Would you mind just?" And I told them the story. I said, "Would you mind just praying?" with us for this and so we prayed and within two weeks the funding came and Simeon's there and doing really well and there are times when God does that 
But there are other times when the circumstances don't change, but the peace of God comes. And it guards your heart and your mind. And it is so, so amazing. So how will I cope if they were to die? Well, you will when the time comes. How will I manage if I lose my job? You will when the time comes. How will I be when the kids leave home? You will when the time comes. And the promise is that we meet today's problems with today's strength. But anxiety and worry focuses us on tomorrow and will we cope tomorrow? But the promise of God is that today you will meet today's problems with today's strength. Because our God stands in between us and when we need it the most, that's when he gives us the ticket. I'm going to ask the band to come back up. And I wonder this morning as we draw to a close whether this might be helpful for some of you. (laughs) These are weird things. And whether this actually represents, could represent your anxiety or your worry this morning. And could it be that you've been holding on to it for way, way, way too long. Perhaps you dropped it, but it's come back in your hands really quickly. And perhaps today, God has brought you here because he wants you not just to drop it, but to let it go into a hand that can catch it and can hold it. And what you've got is you've got a little piece of card with worried or anxious on. And in a moment, I'm going to invite you to stand and we're going to sing. And any of you that want to do this, I want to invite you to scrunch it up. Be careful because it's card so it doesn't cut you. And I'm going to put this glove here just to represent this is God. And as we did in the first service, lots and lots of people came and they just took their anxiety and their worry, which was strangling them. And they said, you know, God, I want to let this go. And I just want to drop it and hold it again. I want to let it go. And I want to throw it towards you. So I'm going to invite you to do that. And it might be this morning as you do that, that that's all you need to do. Just need to throw it, let it go. You know what it is. Just say, God, I'm doing this physical act to represent something on the inside. You let it go, go back to your seat. Great. Some of you, you need prayer this morning. Because as you let that go, you say, God, please, would you give me that supernatural gift of the peace of God, which guards our heart and our mind. And then we've got some people in the prayer team that would love to pray for you. Now, prayer team, you're not going to ask people what they're coming out for, okay? All you're going to do is pray that God would give that person the spiritual gift, the supernatural gift of the peace of God. And you're going to pray that for them, okay? So why don't we stand? I'm going to pray. Father, we thank you that you're an amazing God. God, you add water to our lives. God, I thank you that your Bible, the Word of God, is so practical and so relevant and yet so transforming. God, we're real. We're human. We do get anxious. We do get worried. And yet, Lord, we can do something with that. We can engage with you. We can connect with you. We can tell you what's on our mind. We can tell you what's around our throat. We can be thankful to you. And in the process, God, you promised you'll give us that spiritual, supernatural gift of the peace of God. What an amazing God you are. So Lord, today, I pray that in this place, many of us would begin to let go of the anxiety. We begin to let go of the choking worry that is around our throats. And God, for some of us, we've done this before and it's come back. And maybe we need to keep doing it. Keep letting it go. Back to you. And in the process, receive your gift of peace. And Lord, I pray that if there are any of us this morning and we're in that position where we don't know how we're going to cope, we don't know how we're going to cope with today, let alone tomorrow, God, would you presence yourself among us? And God, would we just see you and feel you and experience you, almost giving us that ticket to whatever it is that we need right now. You will help us to meet today's problems with today's strength. So Holy Spirit, would you come and do what you want to do? 
as we respond to your prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to sing. We're going to sing a great song, which just really paints a picture of the whole of life. And that's where God wants to be. So it mentions life. It mentions work. It mentions sleeping. Many of us, perhaps in this room, having trouble to sleep. It mentions our sleeping. It mentions our waking. Because God is interested in every single part of our life. So don't box it away this morning. Respond to God. And if you want to do that, and if you want prayer, then you can come and pray. Let's respond.